Hi, my name is Malcolm Duncan and I want to thank you for stopping by the Thin Places podcast. Whether you're exploring faith or seeking to deepen your faith, my prayer is that as you listen, it will be a blessing to you. Please make sure that you click or subscribe to the podcast to be kept up to speed with all the latest episodes. I'd love you to take a look at some of my other resources that are available on the internet too. You can go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Rev Malcolm Duncan for daily updates and reflections. You can visit my webpage, malcolmduncan.co.uk, where you can order books and listen to some other resources and link to my written blog. And lastly, you can take a look at my YouTube channel, which has some videos of me speaking in various contexts and some biblical exposition, as well as some videos of me exploring contemporary topics and issues. Thanks very much for stopping by, and I pray that God would richly bless you. This is episode 9 of Good Grief, entitled Good Grief, Learning to Walk Through Sorrow and Loss with Jesus. I'm not alone in my grief. God is with me. He has promised it, and I believe him. Those three short statements might be easy to say, but they've taken nearly two decades to be able to say with conviction. In the rest of this podcast series, I want to invite you to make a journey with me through a single story in the Bible that has rescued me again and again from drowning in the sea of my sorrow. And it has helped me to understand grief and loss more than anything else in the world. It's the story of the resurrection of Lazarus and it's recorded for us in John chapter 11. There's a sense in which I stumbled upon the story because I didn't expect it to speak so profoundly and another sense in which it spoke profoundly precisely because I didn't stumble on it. I'd read it hundreds if not thousands of times through the systematic reading of the Bible. But I want you not just to read the text but to let the text read you. Pretty much the remainder of this podcast series will explore how this text has explored me, how it has undone me and how it continues to do that in me and bring hope and healing into my life and into my soul. Therefore, the remaining episodes might feel a little bit more like listening to a memoir or a journal or a conversation. I pray that they'll help and I pray that you'll take your time to listen to them because they might be hard emotionally And they might be demanding. Don't be afraid to pause and to return to the podcast episodes and to listen to them again. Give yourself time to think about them, to pray through them. Maybe take a notepad and paper and write some things down. Or if you use a journal, use it. Listen to the remaining episodes with your soul, not just with your head. What I want to do, if I can is tell you the story of the ways in which John 11 has helped me in the hope that it might help you too. I have to confess I'm a bit nervous about it because John 11 has laid waste to my heart. It has dismantled me and rebuilt me. The first time I told the story deliberately was in print in Good Grief, the book that accompanies this podcast series. And this is the first time that I've gone into the detail that I'm going to across the rest of these episodes. I hope it'll help. I'm a fellow struggler with you and I pray that as you walk in my tracks 
And as we together walk in the tracks of John 11, God might do something in our hearts. What do I mean when I say that I stumbled upon the story in the midst of my heartbreak and sorrow? Well, take me or come back with me to January 2003. My father had died the preceding August and I was trying to hold my life together. I'd run out of tears and for months I had been pouring out my heart to God about the loss of my dad. But I didn't sense that anything was changing or that God was listening. At the beginning of each year, I start to read through the Bible from cover to cover. That's what I mean by not stumbling upon the story. For whatever reason, whether providence or subconscious awareness of this story being at the beginning of the gospel. In 2003, I decided to start with John. Maybe it was because John's my favourite writer in the New Testament. I don't remember why, I just and it doesn't really matter. I just started reading that year in the Gospel of John. And my normal pattern is to read around 20 chapters of the Bible or so a day. And I like to read both the Old Testament and the New Testament to keep a balance. That year I was reading the Old Testament in the morning and the New Testament in the evening. So it was on the 2nd of January that I read John 11 again. I was in my study in Bournemouth. And within months of this moment, my wife and I would leave Dorset and would take up a new job in the Evangelical Alliance as the head of their church and mission team. Sometimes I think I left too early, and if I did, I'm sorry to the people in Bournemouth. But thinking about my grief and my sorrow, I don't think I did. I think grief helped me make some decisions that I might have put off, whether that was in Berkshire or Buckinghamshire or other decisions about big moves that I've made. Sometimes I think grief forces us to make decisions that we are afraid of or that we resist or try to avoid. It might be that I got it wrong and if I did I'm sorry. But I'm thankful that God can write straight with our crooked lines. Anyway, come back with me to the 2nd of January and I start to read John chapter 11. I'm sitting at my desk in the small study at the back of our house, a favourite place for me, surrounded by musty old friends, my books and the smell of their turned pages and the combined centuries of dust and memories permeating the room. The light was sneaking through the French doors behind me. Uh, it was not quite fully dark and there was a light lit in the, uh, on the patio outside. Just in front of me on the left, the doors from my study into the hallway were closed and on the desk in front of me was my notebook, my Bible, a cup of tea. Milk and no sugar if I ever come to visit you. <laughs> the steam rose from the tea like the intents of my prayers. I can remember the moment I had just finished praying, Lord, speak to me today through your word. Keep me in the watches of the night. Answer my questions. Touch me by your spirit. I need you so much. I need your felt presence, which I miss I opened my Bible and was about to read when I heard a rustling behind me and the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. Slowly and carefully I turned round, perhaps expecting to see an angel or a light cascading onto a form or something. I didn't. It was just the wind pushing through the gaps in the old French doors and it had caught a few papers on the bookshelf behind me. Never mind, I thought, and I sat down again and turned my mind to John 11. And I came to it with my eyes like Job's that I've described earlier in uh, the episodes of this podcast series. 
My face was red with weeping, and the valley of the shadow of death was on my eyes. It's Job 16, 16. I've come to the end of myself, I think. And I think it was probably the closest I've ever come to giving up on God and giving up on ministry. I hadn't turned my back on him, but I felt like he'd turned his back on me. I've heard it said that uh, C.S. Lewis felt that way after losing his wife. I certainly did after the death of my dad. It felt like I was battering on heaven's door and God wasn't answering. Of course, the truth is he was carrying me, but I didn't sense it. He was whispering, but I wasn't listening and he was loving me through those months. But I was unaware of it. The trauma and the unexpectedness of my dad's death had left me emotionally bankrupt and spiritually exhausted. I was about to start reading when a verse from Matthew 11 came to my mind from a paraphrase that I liked, so I pulled a copy of the message down from the shelf of Bibles that I had and turned to Matthew's Gospel. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 in the message, actually. That was how I felt. Tired with grief and worn out with mourning and burned out on pain. I felt like my life was draining away and I was exhausted. Pushing myself to keep going and everything was hard. I was just so sad. I mean the sadness that sucks the life out of you and that makes you never want to smile again. The sorrow that feels like a weight around your soul. You probably know what I mean. Lifting a pen felt like a chore, smiling like I was pulling the poles of the universe apart in my face. I think perhaps the lights were going out in my soul. My eyes were heavy with tears. My spirit was sagging under the weight of it all. Why were those verses speaking to me like this? What was God saying to me? Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I sat for a while with my head bowed and my hands open on my lap, just listening and thinking, listening for God's whispered presence. I knew that he was saying something in the silence. I just needed to give myself time to listen for what it was. So I sat and sat and sat, hearing the ticking of the clock and the quietness of the room. And I got up and I went to the French doors and leaned against the wall. I stared into the garden and a bird landed on the patio. I have no idea what it was, just an ordinary bird. And it just stood there. And then another one arrived, but bigger. And it stood there. And then it began to move and the little one went with it. And I sensed what God was saying. He wanted to walk with me through my sorrow. But this time he wanted me to imagine as I made the journey that Jesus was walking right beside me. And I realised that I'd been holding on to my sorrow as mine. I wanted God to help me, to take it away, to speak to me, to do something. But he wanted to walk through it with me, not for me. I realised that John 11 was going to be the key and these words would help me. Jesus wanted me to see what he did when his friends lost their family. He wanted me to walk through my sorrow with him as if he was there all the time, which of course he was. The very thought of it began to break me apart. I went to my desk and I sat down and I asked myself, how am I going to do this? 
how do I relive a moment I'm trying to run away from? The last months had been the longest in my life and in some ways the shortest. Sleeplessness, travel, memories, questions, tears, bringing up a family, backwards and forwards to my mum, Christmas services, just so much stuff to do. My dad had died of a rare condition that we didn't know he had until after he died and when I came back to Bournemouth I asked God to give me a break from funerals because I didn't think I could cope. And the day after I arrived back a lady in our church told me that her dad had dropped dead and he had exactly the same thing as my dad had had. It was hard and I just tried to work out what God was doing and saying it was things like that that made this such a difficult journey. I hadn't felt God for months, so how was I now going to walk through the darkest moments of my life with him? I had felt bereft of his presence. Somehow, perhaps he was punishing me for something. Ridiculous as it sounds, that's how I felt. Maybe this was the way that would unlock the key, that would open the door, that would help me to see that God was there. The paradox of faith. God works in ways that we don't understand. He does something in us that is beautiful through something that is ugly. He brings hope through hopelessness, healing through brokenness, strength through weakness. That which we think will harm us, God can use in the end to bring us good. The loss of someone that we love, I think, brings uncertainty and sorrow to our hearts and it can fill our lives with pain and despair. And God's absence can be overwhelming. But his absence is proof of a presence once enjoyed, I think. I didn't realise that at the time. His timing can feel horrendous and his will can feel like it will crush us. And sometimes we're just not given permission to say those things. But without being able to say them, we'll still feel them. We can equate our loss with his displeasure. We can assume that he's abandoned us, that we don't feel him. We ask questions of him in grief that we'd never ask in joy. Sometimes displaying that we have a life of assumed entitlement that involves something other than sorrow and pain. It's my journey through Lazarus's story that have, has unearthed all of that and far, far more. It would show me what a powerful thing happens when we invite Jesus into the journey of our grief. He helps us to see things that we didn't see before. He gives us grace to pause in the moments of our lives that we might have rushed past otherwise. He helps us to discover something about his presence when we walk through it with him that we would miss if we walk through it without him. I've tried to work out how I can explain what I mean because obviously God is always there but I think sometimes he can be there and we can be ignoring his presence because we're caught up with other things a bit like sitting in a living room watching a TV with your family but you're on your phone at the same time you're there but you're not really paying attention maybe sometimes we walk through grief holding the device of our sorrow and not stopping to think what God might be saying to us in it I don't know I hope that image helps it isn't that I thought God was asking me how to rehash my grief or relive it. It was much more profound than that. God was asking me to walk through the last few months and let him determine where I should pause and where I should notice and what I should see. This was an accompanied journey. He wanted to hold my hand and guide me heart by heart stepping, heartbreaking step by heartbreaking step. I do think you have to be ready to do this because it's spiritually and emotionally demanding, by the way. That's probably why I couldn't do it for at least five months after my dad died. 
So at the beginning of January in 2003, I was ready, even if I didn't realise I was ready. And I've returned to the journey many times since. But don't think that I live in grief. I don't. I don't live in the events around my dad's death or the events around the deaths of my other family members. But I'm not afraid to revisit them. I think I have learned that to dwell in grief will consume you. To run away from it will haunt you. But to allow God to walk through it with you will liberate you. It is liberating me. In the moments when I revisit my dad's death and the events that surround it now, I'm never alone. I always invite Jesus to walk with me. And it helps me knowing that he's there, helping with my memories, correcting my skewed perspectives, pausing with me when it's right, encouraging me to walk on when I need to. Not only has he done that with me in relation to my dad's death, he's done it in relation to all the deaths that I have suffered. He's shown me, I think, a little of what it means to have God as my shepherd, walking with me through the valley of the shadow of death and learning in the words of that beautiful hymn to trace the rainbow through the rain. It has been a daunting experience, but it's also been a healing one. It has shown me, I think, that the healing of my sorrow isn't sudden or singular. I have shared some sudden and singular moments in my journey. Insights that have helped me, like metaphors or pictures or moments, promises that have sustained me. But restoration, real restoration, is painstakingly so. It takes time. And it involves sometimes pain. There are things that you miss when you rush past it quickly. And God wants us to walk slowly, pausing often, to help us to see the tear in our souls and the gap in our understanding. He sees the marks of mourning much more clearly than we do. And if we're willing to walk through our sorrow and pain with him, it becomes a hopeful journey, even if it isn't always an easy one. And I have to say he's much better at walking through it with us than many Christians are. When Christians try to make us hurry up, God takes his time. When Christians tell us we should get over it, God listens. So walking with Jesus through my sorrow and loss has become an important part of my path and I pray that it will somehow become part of yours. (laughs) Like all journeys, you need supplies. Small gifts perhaps, but important. Faith, courage, humility. Travelling companions are important too. The Holy Spirit will walk with us. As we walk with Jesus, we need a sense of directions, where we're going to pause, what we need. For me, that was healing, restoration, acceptance, growth and flourishing. At one point, I think I would have put knowing or understanding as a milestone too. But I I think my journey through this has helped me understand I don't need to understand God unless in in order to trust him. My journey has also taught me that I can laugh without feeling guilty. I can smile without feeling phony. I can weep without needing to explain myself. On my map, my route, my pathway is John 11. So I want to read to you now my paraphrase of John 11 taken from my own translation of the words. I'd love you to read your own Bible's version, whatever that is, slowly, several times if you need to. But also to listen to my rendering of what happens i pick it up in john ten forty two, so that um it sets the context and a lot of people were putting their trust and confidence in jesus there 
At the same time, an individual known as Lazarus from the community of Bethany, where his sisters Mary and Martha were also part of the community, was very weak and sick. Mary was the person who had ceremonially anointed the Lord with myrrh and dried his feet with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was ill. Because of this, the sisters sent a clear message to Jesus, which said, Lord, you need to know that your deeply loved friend is very ill. Yet when Jesus heard about it, he explained this illness doesn't end in death. It is for God's splendour so that the Son of God will be honoured and uplifted as a result of it all. That's why, despite the fact that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus very deeply, after having understood the news that Lazarus was ill, he stayed exactly where he was for another two days. Thereafter, he explained to his disciples, we're going to Judea again. The disciples remonstrated with him, teacher, the Jews were attempting to stone you to death and now you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? People who walk in the daylight do not get lost or fall because they see the world's light. However, people who walk in the night stumble and fall because the daylight is not part of them at all. Having explained these things, he said to them, Our loved Lazarus has passed away, except I am on my way to awaken him. The disciples said to him, If he's fallen into a deep, deep sleep, he will be fine. Jesus was talking about his death, but they understood that he had meant a deep, restful sleep. That is why Jesus explained to them very clearly, Lazarus has died. And for your benefit, I rejoice that I wasn't there in order that you might trust. Now we are going to him. So Thomas called Didymus said to him and to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we can die with him. So when Jesus arrived, he discovered that Lazarus had already spent four days in the grave. Bethany was very close to Jerusalem, just about two miles away. And a lot of Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them with their condolences about their brother. When Martha became aware that Jesus was on his way, she went to confront him. Mary, however, stayed where she was in the house. Martha spoke to Jesus. Master, if you had been here, there's no way my brother would have died. Despite that, I still believe that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus responded to her, your brother will arise again. Martha replied, I understand that he will stand again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am resurrection and life. Whoever puts their trust in me, even if they die, will live. And every single one who lives and puts their trust in me will never die. Trust this. She said, yes, Lord, I put my trust in you being the Messiah, God's son. The one coming into the world. When she had said this, she returned and summoned her sister Mary, saying privately, The teacher is here and summoning you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not arrived at the village. Instead, he is still where he had been when Martha confronted him. So when the Jews who were with Mary in the house, offering her comfort saw her stand up quickly and go out. They went out after her, assuming that she was on her way to the tomb to wail there. But when Mary arrived where Jesus was and recognised him, she collapsed at his feet. 
saying to him, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her wailing, as well as the Jews who had come with her, he was very agitated in his spirit and stirred up in himself. So he said, where have you put him? And they replied, come and see, Lord. And Jesus started crying. As a result, the Jews said, look how much he loved him. At the same time, some of them said, if he was able to open the eyes of a blind person, wasn't he also able to prevent this man dying? So Jesus, very agitated in his spirit and stirred up in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay over it and Jesus said, away with the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there is a stench now. He has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, I told you that if you trusted me, you would see the glory of God, didn't I? So the stone was taken away. Then Jesus raised his eyes toward heaven and said, Father, I am grateful because you have heard me. I recognize that you always hear me. But I have declared this for the benefit of the people standing around here so that they will acknowledge that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he shouted with a very loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man emerged, hands and feet bound up with strips of linen cloth and his face shrouded with a cloth. Jesus said to them, release him and let him go. What a story. No matter how many times I read it, I see something new. Every time I hear it, I discover another angle, another way in which this remarkable event brings hope to those of us who mourn, challenging us to trust and drawing us closer to God. In the remaining episodes of Good Grief, I want to walk through it a line at a time, sharing with you some of the stories and ways in which God has spoken to me through it. My journey with Lazarus will take the rest of my life. But I pray that as you listen and as you think today that you will stop, you'll pause, go back and listen to this podcast again, read John 11 again, listen to my rendering of the account a few times and allow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk through your grief journey with you, the moments that have been painful the memories that have scarred you. Do it carefully. Talk to a pastor, a friend or someone who could help if you need someone to be with you. But in walking through the grief that we face with Jesus, allowing him to make us pause when we need to and walk quicker when we need to, to see things differently from the way perhaps our memory tells them they were, is a healing process. It will undo you, but it will also rebuild you. And above all, I pray it will help you.